Blog leaders don't actually have offices. Good evening. So, and blessings. Good and evening. welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, hello, hello. This is Leslie Giss, and you are listening to the Gist of Freedom. We are broadcasting uh, simultaneously on TNL Radio. You can listen to this show today at blogtalkradio.com front slash or backslash black history. Can I have my co-host, Miss Nellie Johnson, would you give us the station identification? This is T-A-N-D-L Radio, www.tandlradio.com and 90.5 on your radio in East New York, FM, 90.5 FM. And the call-in number is 347-324-5552. And that number, please write it down. I'm going to repeat it um, because we have a special offer for you guys, 347-324-5552. And, Miss Nellie, would you also give out the number if you have it offhand? For TANDL Radio. The conference number is the, uh, 305-848-8888. And the call, um, with the, the number 906-701-9860 and the pound sign. That's the access code. The access code is nine zero six seven zero one nine eight six zero nine zero six seven zero one nine eight six zero. And you can contact, all right. And you can contact me at Leslie L E S L E Y at the gist of freedom. That's G I S T O F Freedom dot com. Okay. Um today everybody knows there's a lot of excitement on a lot of different channels. Um the the ribbon cutting ceremony was this morning. It began at 10 o'clock at the mall. The new Smithsonian National African American Museum of History and Culture is now officially open. This entire week will be celebrated with all types of activities, and yours truly will be there this weekend. Um and Black History Tours, a company out of Florida, has given the Gist of Freedom three tickets. You wow. Can learn, you can learn more about these tickets. You can go. We opened the, the, the link, the website link, just for you. This audience only, you're the first to hear publicly. Only you. There's only 40 tickets available. There is a processing fee a very nominal one. Um, so I advise you to go visit Facebook page, Black History 
Tours, that's G-L-A-C-K, History, H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, Tours is T-O-U-R with the S at the end. So go visit that page, sign up, and, um, you know, let me know if you have any problems at Leslie at the Gist of Freedom, and um, we'll see what you, you will see what we can do. It's an exciting event. Unfortunately, the tickets are for tomorrow at 445. You can get in tomorrow oh. So if you live within that that area, you know, check out that Facebook page. Um, and I'm so happy, you know, I've been pushing this museum for years and years. I never expected uh, that I would be able to go in during the first weekend of its opening. So I'm extremely delighted. And next week I will share my experience with you, you know, and, of course, my pictures that you can um, – Check me out on my Facebook page at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-I-S-T. Now, we talked about the museum last week, but let's start off by talking about who were the guests on stage at the uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony. It was Stevie Wonder. And we all know that Stevie Wonder is a classic, true musician activist. He's what an activist slash artist is all about. Uh, we are so lucky to have him in our generation. He wrote songs for uh, Martin Luther King so that his birthday could become a national holiday. Um, the Happy Birthday song was tributed to Martin Luther King. He also did a song to help Mandela be free um, called um, Apartheid. Um he was at Obama's inauguration. Uh, the Obamas uh, claimed that uh, Malia and Sasha, uh, he contributed, his songs had a lot to do with their births and their uh, conception. So Stevie Wonder is a true legacy, and he was there today, very solemn. And, of course, there was no great fanfare, even though this was a great occasion but because of the most recent death, again, mm-hmm. we have to watch a, a wife this time on video mm-hmm. her husband unsuccessfully from being shot by the police. And as a result, there is some rioting, not rioting, some protests going on in North Carolina. The National Guards were called in. So our... Celebration has been overshadowed with all these things with um, black men, specifically, really all black people, black children, all of us, have been targeted um, and shot and some killed by the police in this country. So this week. This week, Two of yeah. them this week. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been 15 people murdered and shot. Um, since the Kaepernick kneeling down at the football game. Oh. So the football player and the quarterback of the 49ers named Kaepernick, and he has been kneeling in protest every time. Oh, this kind of thing. Yes. Right. And since his kneeling over a little over a month ago, 15 people have been shot and are dead now after an encounter with the police. Um, So 
It shows and us. And people come and they're upset with him. And, you know, and they, you know, this is ridiculous. And I am mm-hmm. a big, 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 big supporter of Barack Obama. I have pictures of him framed especially. Took my time to have him framed. The ticket that I got from the inauguration, I have that framed. The newspaper from Washington, D.C. when he was inaugurated. I, I mean, I'm a super, super supporter of Barack Obama and his family. Mm-hmm. But it broke my heart. I felt that he turned his back on us. And I really think Kaepernick should turn his back on on the on the anthem and not kneel. Kneeling is some submissive. But getting back to Barack, he signed two bills. One after the so called ambush that took place in Brooklyn. He signed a bill to protect the police officers. Mhm. And again, this past July twenty second he signed another one. And I think it's not, it's just, it's to, to give out grants, to award grants to police departments who have a reputation, who have been sued for police brutality, not killings, just to say police brutality. You should not give out grants just to any old police department, especially after they kill someone. Because if anybody's worked in the government, and I've worked as a teacher for 20 years, in order to get a grant, you have to prove that you need it. Am I right, Miss Nelly? Mm-hmm. So, what does that tell the police department? You need you have to prove that you need this sort of protection, right? Right. So, in order to get the grant, they got to prove they need it. So they have to be, they have to prove that they're they are being targeted. Yes, that they're in danger. Mm-hmm. That they're in danger. So anyway, the only way they can prove that they're in danger is by having an uh, uh, encounter like they did in North Carolina, where they're in riot gear, and mm-hmm. the protesters are unarmed, and they're in riot gear, and then all of a sudden something gets thrown at them. Does that meet the requirement for obtaining this grant, that a bottle was thrown at them? You know what I mean? So I mm-hmm. Unfair that he would just arbitrarily give out a grant to police departments after we're being victimized. You know, yeah. give us a, you know, give give the kids a grant. Mm-hmm. Give them the kids how to how to deal with the police. Don't give the police a grant if you really want to deal with community issues. Award the, the victims. Don't award the people who are who are uh, victimizing us. So yes. I'm pretty, pretty upset with the president. Um, I can't wait for him to get out uh, of office for more reasons than one. I'm glad he made it this long. I want him out safely. And um, um, I've, yeah, I got a text. I don't know what this is about, but I'm glad he's out. I'm counting the days because I just want him to be safe. But personally, I'm truly disappointed with how he's handling um, this, these uh, unarmed killings by the police department. Mm-hmm. He's bending way, way, way over backwards and uh, very insensitive to his roots because not only is he, his life in jeopardy when he's no longer in office, but his daughter, his future son-in-law, his future grandchildren. And then his grandsons that he may have. Right. Um, Michelle, Michelle, 
anybody could be a target. So, you know, so I, that's all I have to say about him. Um, but getting back to the people on stage, we have Patti LaBelle. She's done the fast song, too. She's done our classic song, Sam Cooke. Um, what is the song? It's, it's a Long Time Coming. Uh-huh. Oh, right. Yeah, so it was kind of, you know, I thought we were going to hear some happy day, you know. It was none of that. <laughs> mm. It was none of it because, of, like I said, we're, we're in the shadows of so many, so much unrest uprising. Mm. And, and they said this, this museum has been 100 years in the making. A hundred years, we finally get it. Oh yeah, the the museum. Mm-hmm. And guess who initiated the museum and signed the um, documents so that this museum could be built? And he was there at the ceremony. You want to? Mm. You want to guess? Can oh, uh, um, I'm George Bush. <laughs> George W. Bush? Judge George W. Bush and Laura. It was Laura's baby. She was up mm-hmm. there by Lonnie Bunch, the way her and Lonnie Bunch were dreaming about this museum together. Uh-huh. I, I was like, whoa. Now, what a legacy do they have? That is, who, would, who would expect that? So, right. you know, we never know. And this is why, you know, we can't just say all white people are bad and all white people are bad. Mm-hmm. Time, you know, um, and we can't say all black people are loving, you know, life changes. That's true. You know, <laughs> all black people mm-hmm. are not our sisters. So life teaches us to deal with each other based on our experience. And it might sound corny, but you know what Martin King said: we could be judged not by the color of our skin. And I don't mind being judged by the color of my skin because I think but, but the child is beautiful. And I think what my mm-hmm. color is wonderful. So I, I want you to see my complexion and what it means. But we should be judged by the character, the content of the mm-hmm. character. And mm-hmm. I learned that today by watching Bush on stage and how his wife spoke so highly of Lonnie Bunch. I would have mm-hmm. And most of us would have went on to believe that Barack Obama was the one who initiated um, the building of this this um, museum. So, you know, we live and we learn, and I've been humbled. Um, so right. I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at Bush in a whole different light, you know. So um, what else happened? So they have Ida B. Wells, right? We're talking about lynchings and unarmed killings, which is a new form of lynching. And mm-hmm. it's worse because our lynching, our modern-day lynchings, are being um, televised. 24-7, and I was thinking about this. Remember that show, Cops? Hmm? Boy, Bad Boy. And Cecilio, I know you're on the line. You remember that show, Cops, that came on that show, police officers chasing black so-called suspects all the time? On Channel 5, Fox, anybody? I remember Cops. Yeah, it sounds like the little song... Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? You don't remember that song? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That was a television show 
um, like like one of the first reality shows that mm-hmm. showed policemen chasing black cops, black so-called suspects. So the point is they were using television to get us prepared for what we're seeing today. I never liked that show. Yeah, so, to make us, uh, to, to, to sensitize us, get us sensitized to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Now there's no... There's no sensitivity. People said, well, they've been doing it, chasing you guys for decades, and you didn't complain. Now we're seeing our blood literally on the floor, in the car seat, on the playground, kids sprawled out, black men, women, black women. And there's some, there's a talk going around saying that we are all dealing with post-traumatic stress every time we see this. As a race, every time we witness this. So, well, we have a right to be dealing with post-traumatic stress because the the PS the the reason for the PSDT is is all in our faces all the time. And before we get used to one shooting, another one happens. Right. You know, these are unarmed people. I'm not even complaining about the ones that get shot that are pointing guns at the police, or that are running with a gun in their hand. Uh, to turn around and shoot at the police. The ones I'm worried about is the ones that you shoot with no provocation. There's no reason. You know, these people are unarmed. They are not approaching you. They are walking away from you, and you still shoot them. Right. The deal is Mm -hmm. using us for target practice. We're using us for target practice. Right, and and we said this many times on the show. What do we expect from from a group of men who think that it's fun, it's a great way to pass time by killing Bambi. What do you expect them to do? You know, they kill Bambi yep. for fun. This is fun. Now, you know, yeah. I hope 10, mm-hmm. 10 years from now, this society would think that that is so inhumane, that is a terrible thing to chase an animal down that you don't want to use for food, but just to kill him. Like, where I live is a bear. Bears are running amok around here, and now coyotes. And their solution? Kill them. It's hunting season. And uh-huh. black people are the new wildlife. That's the way they look. Yes. And um, there's no remorse. There's no, there's, there's, they don't have to pay for it. No way, no how. And the other thing is talking about paying. Sandra Bland's family just got a couple of million dollars for her life. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about receiving some money after she was, you know, found dead? Well, since they couldn't bring her back and they're not prosecuting anybody, money is the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Because, now, we, uh, I think that the people in uh, where she was, the the cop that arrested her, she had been prosecuted because they put her in a cell, and they claimed that they that she had said that she had tried to commit suicide before. Now, why didn't they have her own suicide watch with somebody watching her all the time if they knew she was prone to suicide? That's what right. I'm thinking. Right. Since they didn't prosecute anybody. The money was the next best thing. Bankrupt the system if they're not going to give you justice. Yes, I believe in bankrupt, 
bankrupting the system, but also we have to be cognizant that the people that are paying that money out are the taxpayers in these cities, mm-hmm. predominantly black people. You know what I mean? So the taxpayers are black, and it's coming out of their pocket. Bankrupt the unions. You know, sue the unions. Don't sue the towns. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated issue. But um, mm-hmm. um, the next thing is, you know, Ida B. Wells was very famous for helping to end the lynching situation, right? And Ida said that all black people should carry a gun in so many words. I'm looking for her, her little poster. Ida was short. And in the museum, they have a quote from her. But it really doesn't reflect her little feisty spirit. And this is what she said. She said, a Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home. And it should be used for what? It should be used for that protection which the law refuses to give. Let me say it again. A Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home. And it should be used for that protection which the law refuses to give. That's what Ida B. Wells Mm -hmm. Mm said. She sued a streetcar company for trying to make her sit in the back way back in the 1800s, early 1900s. She started a union, Black Teachers Union, in Oklahoma. She um, was a proponent and organized people to flee the South when they were committing these lynchings. And so mm-hmm. now it's fitting that, you know, it's unusual that or strange that Oklahoma, Tulsa is one of the places that um, is in the news right now for having these police shooting on our people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to visiting um, this museum. Our see, museum. Right, to see Ida B. Wells. And Cheryl Wills, who is an anchor of, of um, News One, is it News One in New York? Cheryl Wills? Mm-hmm. News One, she has been Facebook Facebooking live on her Facebook. And um, she's there. Um, she calls the museum Our House. And I think that's mm-hmm. the It is truly Our House. They tried to put up a mammy in honor of black people. The black mammy with the white babies on her hips. (laughs) Yes, they tried to do that. They had raised money to put a mammy statue up. On on the National Mall? Yes. For us? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I read about that. Yes, I remember that. I remember hearing about that. Mm -hmm. This is a, a quiz question. If you could um, email me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-I-S-T. Well, just email me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at the gist of freedom, T-H-E-G-I-S-T-O-S freedom.com. And tell me the year and 
the name of the senator or the politician who proposed to put a mammy statue on the mall. And see, when we... I don't don't remember that much. I just remember reading about it. I don't remember who proposed it, but I do remember reading about it. I don't know the answer right now, but I know where to find it. And if somebody sends it to me, I will will give them a ticket to the museum. Oh, my. 445. Okay, Cecilia, there you go. (laughs) There you go, Cecilia. I can't go, but he might be able to go. If you can email the answer to that question. Who? Hello? Which politician? Which politician proposed to put a mammy statue on the mall in the early nineteen? A what? A, a black woman holding a white child on the mall as a as a um, uh, what do you call it as a memorial to us black folks to black people. Uh, I I don't know. I I don't really. But that's not really my area of expertise. Right. So if you're listening, anyone, and you want a ticket to to the museum at 4:45 tomorrow, email me with the answer l e s l e y at thegistoffreedom.com, and I will email you a PDF of your ticket um, as soon as this show is off or while the show is continuing. So we now we talked about our wonderful, wonderful Ida B. Wells. She's a fierce, fierce woman. Her legacy lives on. I've interviewed her grandson, Dan. Um, he's been on my show numerous times. Um, and if we want to stop these um, unarmed killings, we have to follow the footsteps of a winner, of someone who's been victorious. She helped put an end to the lynchings. She... Um, along with Paul Robeson, along with Albert Einstein, and many, many, many others. But those are the three that I've studied. Uh, what else are we going to talk about? He said Stevie was on this stage. Patty LaBelle was on stage. Um, I told you what she sung. Who else is in? Oprah and Will Smith, they, they quoted some of the best um, poems. And um, adages by black people. One of my favorite is was um, that they said was Toni Morrison. If you can't find a book that you want to read, what should you do? Anybody know? So you can't find a book you want to read. Yeah. What should you do? Yeah. If you can't find a book you're looking for, what should you do? Write one. Write it. That's right. That's what Toni Morrison said. And then my other favorite one was um, uh, by Zora Neale Hurston. Anybody um, know that if you watched it, let me know again. If you email me, let me know if you watched the show and what was the quote that Oprah and um, Will Smith uh, recited about Zora Neale Hurston. Okay, people, I got to run. Y'all have a blessed weekend, and I will be talking to you next weekend.
All right. Have a blessed one. Thank you for hanging in so long. All right, so I'm going to go to my page, and I'm going to share stories about one of the most um, successful vigilante groups, a group started in 1827 to combat the kidnapping of children. We had slavers who would cross the Mason-Dixon line and go and steal black children, mainly from border states that were right on the border of the slave states. And this organization was called the Protection Society of Philadelphia. An auxiliary of the Abolition Society of Philadelphia, it was established in 1827 for the protection and prevention of kidnapping of children and man-stealing, as they call it. In January of 1837, the New York Vigilance Committee established because any free black person was at risk of being kidnapped, uh, reported that it had protected 335 persons from slavery. David Ruggles, a black newspaper editor and treasurer of the organization, writes in his paper of his futile attempt to convince two New York judges to prevent illegal kidnapping, as well as a daring successful physical rescue of a young girl named Charity Walker from the New York home of her captives. So they would steal these children and then um, hide them away. And David Ruggles, a black abolitionist, he would go and look for these children. He would physically take them out of the grasp of these um, low-life bounty hunters. And not only would he do that, but he would also uh, file a citizen's um, arrest. And he would put their names and faces, if you can have them illustrated, in his newspaper. And if a black person was caught helping the bounty, the white bounty hunters, he would also disgrace them in his paper. So he was a serious, serious, serious um, abolitionist. And this story continues from Philadelphia, High Constable Samuel Parker, uh, Cecilia, you should help me pronounce this. Garrigues, G-A-R-R-I-G-U-E-S. How do you pronounce that last name, Cecilia? G-A-R-R-I-G-U-E-S. For now, we'll just call him Samuel Parker. Took several trips to southern states at the behest of Mayor Joseph Watson to rescue children and adults who had been kidnapped from the city streets. He also successfully went after their abductors. One such case was Charles Bailey, kidnapped at the age of 14 in 1825, and he was finally rescued by Gagario after a three-year search. Unfortunately, the, the beaten and, emis, and, and, and emaciated youth died a few days after being brought back to Philadelphia. Gagario's was able to find and arrest Bailey's abductor, Captain John Smith, alias Thomas Collins, the head of the Johnson Gang. He also tracked down the rest of John Purnell of the Patty Cannon Gang. So there were gangs. You you hear of gangs that they talk about today, the Bloods and the Crips. Well, there were gangs back then who were known to kidnap black children. 
and take them off the slavery. The name of these gangs, one was the Johnson Gang and the Patty Cannon Gang. So this is real talk. This is real black history um, that we're talking about right here. This this is um, some disgusting and things that, you know, you never hear about. And I don't know if this museum is going to talk about black heroes and the real Django's, but I hope to see some sort of representation of black people like David Ruckles and Matt Turner and Ben Marvesi. We know that they have uh, a display, on display, John Brown's pipe. Now, John Brown, he uh, had a raid in 1859 along with six black vigilantes. He raided the Harpers Ferry Arsenal in West Virginia. And not only did he do that, but he was preparing for this raid. Many of the abolitionists were very, very, very smart. And they were high-tech people. They can... They had visions, and they actually worked on it. He knew how to make knives. He made a thousand knives in preparation for this raid. And one of these knives, they call it a pike, is on display at the museum. So I'm looking forward to seeing that and taking a picture. Um, how many people on the line do we know? I hear some activity. No? Okay. So let me check my website. All right. So we have a Bible. Now, many times people today, you know, they have birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates. Well, the place where we used to store these certificates and many times we didn't have them, we kept a running log of all of our our um, major monumental events in our family in the family Bible. So this museum is full of things like family Bibles. The Bible was very important to the black family. In it, you would find a lot of birthdays, death days, marriages, all types of information. So if you're a genealogist, the first place you want to start is to find the oldest Bible in your family. And it usually has the most information about the family. So on my Facebook page, there's a story of a picture of a Bible that was uh, donated to the museum. And it's from the Nickens family. They have a small Bible dated 1857 and a large Bible dated 1891. Um, the large Bible in this photo belongs to, and this is Mr. Jared Sawyer who wrote this, and this is him speaking. The large Bible in this photo belongs to my great-great-grandfather, Edward Nickens, of Heathville, North, Northern Cumberland County, Virginia. It lists in his own handwriting the names and birth dates of his eight children, including my great-grandfather, Joseph. The smaller Bible belongs to Edward's father, my great-great-great-great-grandfather, Armstead J. Nickens, also of North Cumberland County, Virginia. It's said that Granddad Armstead taught himself to read 
just for the purpose of being able to read the Bible for himself. He also taught himself how to write. All throughout the Bible, you can see where he was attempting to spell his name on various pages. The first couple of pages list the names and birthdays of all his children, and in some cases, the day the child received Christ's salvation. So this is the first time I've ever read that. So the day that a person submitted to Christ and, and as we call it, was saved, they wrote it down. There's even a great treasure in this Bible which mentions Armstead's mother's name, Nancy Tulsa Nickett, in the day she died in 1857. As a family historian, my grandmother's first cousin told me that I should keep the Bibles and along with the Bibles, he also gave me the 1837 marriage certificate of Armstead's parents, Lindsay and Nancy Nickens. Wow, I didn't even know that existed. How could I thank them enough? According to my research, my Nickens family's line has been free since 1690 in Lancaster County, Virginia. I'll cherish these Bibles and old family documents forever. I'm now the keeper of three family Bibles. Praise God. And you can learn more about some of the ordinary folks who donated extraordinary items that were uh, heirlooms in their family. You can learn more about these images um, at historicallyblack.tumblr.com. And I tweeted this picture or some pictures from that website, um, and one of the uh, writers from this blog on Tumblr uh, retweeted me and come to find out that the blogger works for a major news outlet. And she let me know that she wanted credit for it in a very, very nice way. And she said that I should also listen to the podcast. All right, her name is Jessica Stahl. And her Twitter description says, She runs the Embedded Audience Team Plus Podcast at the Washington Post. She is a dancer, a comfy chair, a comfy chair, you know what that means, and she had to Google the spelling of aficionario. And she's, um, again, she works for Washington Post, and she's sharing these images of different ordinary folks with extraordinary um, preservation and artifacts. So, moving right along. Any questions? Are you on the line, uh, Mr. Ben? I guess not. So, let me go back to where I was. Hello? Yeah, are you here? Do you have yeah, I'm here. If not, you're echoing, and I could... Um, yeah, hold on. Okay. Okay, go right ahead. Okay, so I was just talking about the Family Bible and how the Washington Post um, shared that that image on their Tumblr blog page, and um, we were giving props to the lady who is responsible, Jessica Stahl who runs the Embedded Audience Team Plus Podcast. So um, that's all I was saying as far as that. So, Cecilio, do you want to go 
to see the museum? Uh, the new museum? Yeah, no. I, the next time I'm, D- I'm in D.C., I'll be going to visit the, the new museum. Uh, every time I go to D.C., I visit uh, several of the different Smithsonian's, so that'll be one that I add to the list the next time I'm in D.C. that I'll be visiting. Well, there is a waiting list. At least I mean, I probably, by the time I go there, uh, there won't be a waiting list, I'm sure. But, because uh, I probably... Okay. What is it that you are looking forward to seeing and learning? What are you expecting? Well, see? you know, I don't really know much about uh, I don't really know much about uh, uh, what the curators have put together for this museum. So uh, it'll be entirely new and interesting. So uh, it'll be entirely, um, it'll be an entirely new experience. So uh, uh, I'm open to seeing what anything and everything, because I don't know what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you said you go and visit museums often when you go to Washington. Tell us about one of the most memorable artifacts that you uh, ever laid your eyes on at any of these museums that you have visited in D.C. Um, now, which one I guess uh, that I, I saw the, the, the most interesting thing I've ever seen in a museum, then, in uh, a Smithsonian Museum, excuse me. I guess the most interesting thing I've seen in a Smithsonian Museum is a model of Sputnik. Tell us about that. I don't know what what is a Sputnik. Sputnik is the first object that human beings ever sent into space. Okay. It's the first object to ever enter into space. And what did it look like? Uh, it looked like a small disc uh, with uh, long, sort of like antenna wires, but a little broader, uh, coming out of the back. Um, so very small, very um, uh, obscure, but definitely uh, eye-catching. I mean, being the very first satellite ever to be sent into space, uh, it, it was it, it was an interesting sight to see. Was that or a model of it. Science, was that the science, Smithsonian Science Museum? It is the Air and Space Museum, the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, okay. D.C. I think I've been there, um, and I saw Betsy Coleman there at that museum, and she's a black aviator. So I may have been to the same museum. I really enjoyed it as well. I had a great time. So if you are in the D.C. area and you're, and you're partying right now, but you can't be partying if you listen to the show. But if you are in the D.C. area this week, Cecilio is recommending the, the science Smithsonian Science um, Museum. So I, too, second that emotion, or I second that motion. Is there anything you want to add to this conversation about this museum and um, the people who attended and who are going to be performing. They have they have um, the, the history of hip-hop, Labor Flave, Public Enemy. They're going to be performing there tonight. Um, yeah. Sweet Honey Rocks, which are mm-hmm. freedom singers. So it's, got, it's a very festive occasion. 
but as I said earlier, it's being overshadowed by um, the police shooting. You know, things are easier. Nothing to add? Yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, regarding the Smithsonian Museum, uh, like I said, it's totally new and interesting. It's totally new to me, and uh, it'll be an interesting experience certainly when I go uh, to visit it. Uh, and uh, it looks uh, uh, very interesting, very exciting for those who are participating in the inaugural ceremony. And uh, I wish everyone down there all the best and to enjoy their time. Okay. All right. Now, we talked about Don Brown's um, knife, and he was able to make knives called pipes with some serious technology, which is not really that available to most people. Um, there is a website ran by Professor Holloway, H-O-L-L-O-W-A-Y, at CSU Northridge. That is his um, email, and that is uh, where you can find him. He has a database on his website of several hundred um, rebellions, uprisings uh, that were um, conducted by African Americans. So if you don't see what you want to see at the museum, at this particular museum, you can learn about people like Matt Turner, Matt Turner, Denmark, Bessie, and the rest by visiting this website. So we hope that um, your experience at the, the museum will be one that you'll come back and call in or email us and share some pictures on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages. We have a Facebook fan page at TNL Radio. It's brand new. Um, We need to do some more work to attract people like yourselves, and we're going to get on it. But share whatever images you have from your own family um, treasure box, and if you've been to the museum or you think you know of something that should be included, share it on our page, and we would love to uh, discuss it further on this show. Anything you want to add to that, Cecilia? Do you have any family treasures that you're that you are, um, like, really excited about? Uh, what, what, what exactly do you mean by family treasure? What, what does that mean? Old books, old graduations. Um, for instance, at my house, my mom saved the very first um, Valentine's sweetheart card. She saved my dad. Ah, Yeah. Uh, well, we have um, we have uh, in my family uh, photo albums. Uh, we don't really collect material items, but we do have photo albums, uh, a, a visual record of uh, days past, uh, and that's and that's what we have. And what's one of your most memorable pictures? One that you you know that really brings you back to that moment. Um. Well, you know, it's not really <laughs> uh it's not really something that you um I I'd have to look into the album because it's not something that you look at on a daily basis. Uh I think um uh a picture of uh my great grandfather, that might be it. Okay. And what is he doing? Yeah. 
Hmm? What is it? What is he doing in the picture? Is he sitting down? Is he active? Is he smoking a pipe? What is he doing in this picture? No, it, it's just uh, it's just a a, a a headshot of him. It's just his face uh, from the neck up, uh, just him smiling to the camera. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a very nice picture. Mm-hmm. And do you have anything like um? Any trophies, or awards, or plaques? That's true. Do you have anything in your family like awards, plaques, trophies, certificates? Yeah, we're not really collectors. We just uh, we have photo albums. We don't we don't really collect. Uh, we're, uh, uh, I come from a very antique hoarding background of anything and everything. Uh, so the only thing that we really collect are uh, our photos, and we just store them. And in, in, we have two large family photo albums, and that's where we store our memories. Um, and our, and our, sorry, what was that? I thought I heard someone else on the line. Yeah, no, uh, that was uh, Grandma Allen called, uh, saying something to me. Uh, what was oh. that? Sorry, what was that what, that you were saying, that you were asking me? Oh, nothing else, nothing else. I'm just listening. So, yeah. Um, what else is going on in the news besides the museum? We have, let's see. We have what is going well, there was, on? Well, there was the incident in uh, well, there was the incident uh, in Washington last night, and we oh, here at PNL, uh, our hearts and prayers are with all those who lost their lives in this senseless act of violence that took place last night in Washington, um, and um, uh, and again. Uh, we uh, we are thinking of everyone in Washington today, uh, and we will continue to pray for Washington. Yeah, um, I haven't been able to follow that story too closely, um, but it seems mm-hmm. like somebody, and they have a picture of them, um, a lone gunman, right? Sorry, I can't, what was that? A lone gunman went into the mall. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, so they have pictures of him. Correct. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we have pictures of that, but um, uh, just reflecting on the incident, uh, the the tragedy that's taken place. Uh, yeah, it's a very unfortunate tragedy, and I'll, uh, I'm sure we'll all be monitoring it closely. Uh, as this story progresses. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to end my show on a story about um, the guardsmen in 1970 on May 4th. They shot and killed four protesters, Caucasian protesters. And I'll read it to you. Guardsmen shot and killed four students on May 4th, 1970. While students were protesting the bombing of Cambodia on the Kent State University campus. 28 Ohio National Guardsmen shot into a crowd of anti-war protesters. Isn't that ironic? They're protesting war, and they get shot and killed by military. So they shot into the crowd of anti-war protesters, which left four college students dead on the ground and several others injured. After a decade, this is what Martha King said about this. After a decade of sending military equipment to civilian police, 
Martin Luther King said this, I'm sorry, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So for those who are sitting on the sidelines while African Americans are being shot, uh, unarmed African Americans are being shot by police officers, while you're sitting on the sidelines, you need to also know your history and understand that your your tragedies are not being reported on national television unless four or five of white people get killed. But there, there are different um, things that are going on with police brutality in the white community. So I want to give kudos and thank the ones who are coming out and who are saying that this is wrong and this is not America, again, because we all know that you don't have to share the same skin tone or have the same amount of pigmentation in your skin in order to um, represent or feel compassion or empathy for some people and be active and to protect humanity. Again, because Martin King said, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So um, it's important that we know our history, all of our history, not just black history, not pan-African history, not economics, but to find out how they all relate, who who recognize and identify our, our commonalities, and work together on these issues. Because in the end, we're all in the same boat. And if the boat is going down, we're all going to sink. So that's the reality. Um, I end my show on the story of the four college students. Kent State, shot right there, white college students who were nonviolent protesters, demonstrators. Know your history. If you don't, you're doomed to repeat the worst of it. So I'm going to end the show on that note. I'll let you have the last word, Mr. Cecilio. You can do a facial identification. Right. Well, actually, in these last three minutes, I wanted to ask you, um, because uh, I, I hear this quite a lot. Uh, it's a pretty right. generic phrase. This phrase, know your history. What exactly does that mean? Because it, it, it doesn't really, it's not self-explanatory. So explain to people what that means, know your history. Know your history means understand how, why you are here. Because, you know, there's so many different people on this earth that came to this earth at different times in our lives, different eras. You're here, you're born for a reason at a certain time at a certain place. That's unique to you. If you know your history, you're really knowing yourself and getting to know yourself. So when we say know your history, history starts with your own personal genealogy. And it can begin with walking down the street, the street that you live on, and trying to understand why is your street named Bunker Hill or Bunker Road. Mm-hmm. Who's the, who are they honoring? 
when you walk out your door and you see a, a person's name on the street sign, <laughs> you know, why is your school name a certain, has a certain name? Why is the name Jefferson um, University? Why is the name Fordham? Who is Fordham? What does Fordham represent? For instance, in Patterson, we have Fordham. You go to Fordham University? Oh. For instance, right. why would you, who is Fordham? What does Fordham represent? How did that school even come about? Who were the charter members? Who started that school? For what purpose? Right. Well, actually, so it's funny you say that because um, uh, it's funny you say that because uh, uh, when students first come to the university, they uh, they do learn about the history of the university. But go ahead. So when we talk about know your history, you just don't walk around aimlessly and go mm. into buildings and signing up to take courses and sign up to to go to attend a certain school and don't know why the school was first established and who established it, for what purpose. For instance, with... Um, well, let, his, well, let me ask you. Let me, let me ask you. Uh-huh. Uh, say that we didn't teach the history of Fordham to Fordham students. Do you yeah. think that students would walk around aimlessly not knowing what they're doing there? Of course. I would think for, it, it would be, all right, let's say you found out in one of those courses that Mr. Fordham, Mr. Fordham had once voted a bill or was part of legis- legislation to kill all people named Ben, B-I-N-N. Uh-huh. Would you be as comfortable sitting in that building if you knew that? Uh, would I be a, well, you, uh, I should say, let me, before, before you go any further, let me just say for the record, by the way, that Fordham is named after the place where it was founded, Fordham Hill in, in, uh, in the Bronx. But no, if there was, if the school was founded by someone who did something terrible, would I feel what about, would I feel what? Would you feel comfortable being a, to be, to remain a student at that building if you knew the history and that you were well, why would, well, let me ask you because I let me ask you because I'm not sure how to answer that question. Why wouldn't I feel comfortable? Because you are continuing to perpetuate a legacy that is against your own. How how so? It's exterminate. If this, let's say, his the school is named after Mr. Fordham, and he was mm-hmm. a a a racist person who committed mm-hmm. genocide, particularly on your people. Uh-huh. Don't you think that part of his curriculum and his mission would be to continue that legacy? Would his curriculum continue that legacy? Right. The whole institution, would, if it was built on that legacy, wouldn't you think that it would remain intact, that legacy, part of its goal or mission would be to, be, to maintain that legacy? And it was built on. Oh, okay, I see. Well, I don't. I I would say, I would say not necessarily. And here's why. Um, uh, uh, Two hundred years ago, France was a monarchy ruled by a ruthless monarch. Uh, today, however, oh, hold on, hold on. Two hundred years ago, France was a ruthless mon was was ruled by a ruthless monarchy. 
Today, right. however, it is one of today, however, it is one of the freest democracies in the world. So it was one thing in the past, but today it is something very different. So with your example of a Mr. Fordham, who created a Fordham University 200 years ago or 300 years ago, and then today uh, it may be the same or it could be very different. Let's say it's very different, right? If it's a very different institution. Yeah. uh, You're underscoring my point. You wouldn't know that unless you studied and you knew your history. Right, but then that goes back to my initial question. He wouldn't uh, why? Say that again? I said you wouldn't be able to state this case if you didn't study it. And that's the point right. that I'm making. Ask me, if you, why, do, why is it important to know your history? Because someone so, so I'm asking, so I'm asking why do I need to make that case? Why does it matter who founded the institution? If I am at an institution, so... Yeah, go ahead. I, I answer that because if you don't know who founded the institution and that institution uh-huh. is created to continue genocide against you and your people and your very existence, you're helping uh-huh. to exterminate yourself. Okay. So, all right. I see. So what, let's see now. So now name me one institution in the United States that perpetuates genocide. One institution of higher learning. The, oh, of higher learning? Yeah, oh, well, that perpetuates genocide. Or no, no, one institution in general. What is one institution that perpetuates genocide? Well, many of them have the names of the, the slave institutions that um, started these uh, institutions. Let's just, let me go back to one. There's, there's one, um, I think it's, I think there's an institution named after um, one of my presidents. What's his name? The one that's on the Queen Dollar Bill. Um, Andrew Jackson has one. There's many uh, colleges that, that are named and have statues and monuments of mm-hmm. slave, former slaveholders. Um, uh-huh. Duke, University, Duke University is one that I would say personally. It's still um, and, okay. and let me so let me ask you about Duke. Would you say that Duke University today perpetuates genocide? Yes, I would say that um, without even how, thinking. How so? If you ever follow the how, different cases that came out of Duke University, with one for one instance where they had a, a rape victim, she was um, um, so called. Um, she was she was raped, and you have to follow these stories on your own. This is why I said you have to know your history. Um, it's not intended. When, when I told you you have to know your history, I said the history starts at home, and when you walk out the door, it starts with your parents, um, the people who are the closest to you, your teachers. It starts where you are. I'm not going to study everything about Duke, but if I see something in the news... Oh, I'm not talking about... No, 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 I'm saying in the present moment, how has that Duke... Is, how is Duke University... That is, very, that, again? that is a very recent story that made national headlines, but you can also find out if an institution is racist 
by um, finding... We're not talking about racism. We're talking about perpetuating genocide, which is the extermination of an entire group of people. Racism and genocide uh, are hand in hand. You can't have you can't have genocide without racism. Well, actually, that's not that's not uh, correct. Genocide, if we look at so the word genocide is established under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, which was first drafted and created by the uh, passed through the UN. It was first created for, created in 1948 and uh, became international law in 1951, right? And the person who uh, first invented, who first came up with the phrase genocide was uh, Ralph uh, Lemkin. And he used the word genocide to describe the extermination of the Jewish people during the Holocaust. So, so I'm, I'm asking, what institution in the United States today perpetuates genocide, uh, the extermination of a whole people? The institution that will sit back and allow people to be um, murdered. I don't care if it's bloodshed, physical murder, but when you create a system in a society where people are dying, that is genocide. And if you Mm -hmm. don't do anything about it, then it's genocide. It may be a slow version of it, it may be a quick version. But if you sit back, if if, if if I see... If I take uh, a knife and puncture your boat, puncture a hole in your boat, and I continue to puncture holes in your boat, and then I say, it's just a puncture. It's not Mm -hmm. a genocide. All I did was a little racism. Okay. I don't mean to make, I don't make, I don't mean to let you go over, uh, but I'm just very interested because the, I mean, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, uh, oh boy. Uh, well, first before I do, I yeah, say that again. I said maybe a very very small puncture. You may take a mm-hmm. lot of them well, before that boat will capsize and you'd be dead. But the point is, right. I will put you in the middle of the ocean yeah. and start poking holes in your your boat. And so, so let me ask you this. Yeah. <laughs> Cecilia, you can sit back and say those tiny holes are not really genocide. You can say that. Say that again. You can look at it and say to me that those little tiny holes that are that are being punctured in our boat is not genocide. You can say it's just mere racism. That's what you can say. And if it makes you feel better, you can believe that. But if you're conscious and you say, well, that is, I go to that institution, and they may not um, really nurture African-American students of, students of color. They may not really want them to attend this university. Right. But, you know, well, what? Not, well, yeah. they have to pull themselves up. <laughs> right. Well, to, uh, I want to give this an error, but before I do, I just want to uh, – this is a specific thing. Uh, when I do use a word like genocide or slavery or apartheid uh, or whatever that is, I use that word in the uh, original definition that it was first manifested to represent. So slavery, for instance, slavery, slavery for instance, represents the uh, taking of one's liberty uh, to the extent that they 
are owned by another person, right? So in any circumstance where a person, so if you're being bullied, if you're being bullied on the school ground, um, if you're being harassed, uh, then your, your, your uh, security of person is being violated, but your freedom from slavery is not, right? Uh, so words have, words are important. Let me give you a scenario. Do not disrespect the millions of people who came out of slavery by trying to mesh bullying with slavery. Now, that's, now you're too smart to do something Say like that. Say that again? I said, you're too smart to try to compare bullying on a playground to slavery. You're too intelligent. Oh, we're not com- you blatantly no, no, no. You misunder- no, no. You've misunderstood what I've just said. Uh, we're not making a comparison here. We're not talking about a comparison. Well, in fact, we're saying that bullying is not slavery, right? I'm, I've actually said the opposite. I've said that you can't use the word slavery to define bullying on, on a playground, right? Uh, but that's sort of what you're doing when you're making these sorts of assumptions. So let me give you this example. Um, when, huh? I don't know why you don't believe genocide and slavery go hand in hand. Well, here's why. Um, hold on, here's why. So by the definition of genocide as created by, again, because genocide is a specific word, right? Well, created by Ralph Lemkin in the 1950s, specifically uh, in, 1950, in 1948, uh, to reflect the atrocities that took place uh, in Germany between 1935 and up until 1947. Uh, so when, uh, under the Convention on the Prevention of, uh, and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, right, uh, any attempt to exterminate in whole a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. So it goes beyond race. It includes ethnicity, it includes nationality, it includes religion. So if I killed someone because, if I killed, if I attempted to wipe off the face of the earth, all Muslims, that's not racism. And why is it not racism? Because Islam is not a race, it is religion. It is a religion. So I'm committing a, a, a act of genocide against a religious group, not a racial group. Uh, Julio, I don't know where you're going with this, but let me just oh. give an example. Well, well the whole point, no, well, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm, asking, I'm answering a specific question that you asked me. You had asked me why don't I see genocide as racist, and I'm saying it's because genocide isn't just an act against a race. It's also an act against nationality or against a religious group or against uh, ethnicity. Cecilio, Cecilio? The yeah. operative word is only. You said it. You explained yourself only. So it does include race. Only. Let's, let's get back to reality. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about how African Americans use the term successfully, genocide successfully, to end lynching, which is part of genocide. I mentioned earlier okay. to you, Paul, Paul Robeson, right? And if you go to my mm-hmm. Facebook page, not just you, but anybody listening, and you want to learn about the word genocide, go and study the people who used it properly and didn't debate about it, but the people who actually well, used the word effectively. Now, Paul, well, we can well, let, me just, let me just let, let me just read what I No, 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 because, you know, I'm a practical person. I've been teaching for over 20 years and around children, uh, 10 more. So yeah. it's not about you have to apply what you're learning because, 
Like the scripture says, faith without deeds is useless. So this conversation without any meat, without any merit, without any proof will be useless. And I don't have time for useless um, uh, conversation. So let's let's make this worth our listeners' time. So if you go to my page on September 8, 2015, I posted a picture of Paul Robeson. And he is in the caption in the picture um, says, and let me describe the picture. He has a book and he's handing it over a desk to a white gentleman, and he, he has a, a, a delegate of people with him, mostly women, with more books in their hands. And the caption says, December 17, 1951, Paul Robeson presents We Charge Genocide by William Patterson to the United Nations. He's a secretary in New York. So they went to New York, did a study. Before they went to New York, they did a study, mm-hmm. and they compiled their information and data to prove that African Americans were the victims of genocide. And this right. is what he said. Paul Robinson said, we charge genocide to the United Nations. The historic petition to the United Nations for relief from a crime of the United States government against the Negro people in 1951. A humanitarian, Paul Robinson was one of the towering global labor black nationalists. This is 1951? 1951 activist of the 20th century. Paul Robinson, the son of a survivor of slavery, he graduated as valedictorian at Rutgers University. He earned his law degree at Columbia University, and he spoke 25 languages fluently. He was the citizen of the world. With everything to lose, yet he delivered this petition. And then you can read the rest of it. So when you throw these terms at me and you want to cite the etymology of the term and you want to tell me who invented it, it's useless, as the scripture says. It is, it is like a phone, a, a raging gong. If you can't connect to the people, this is what Christ said to his disciples. If you are speaking in tongues and no one understands your message, it is useless to speak in tongues. But to speak well, that's why we're having this conversation because I... I'm not saying... Uh, let me get that together because I don't want to sound like um, Medea. Yeah. But the scripture yeah. said... Well, that's why we're having this conversation is because when you use the word genocide, I had no idea what you were referring to. Uh, and so I wanted, to, I wanted you to clarify what you meant by genocide because the way you were using genocide was not in adherence to how Ralph Lemkin uh, initially created the word "mean." That's why. That's why. That's the whole purpose of this conversation is because you were using the word incorrectly to how it was initially meant to be used. But yeah, um, thank you for explaining that to me. Well, hey, well, let me just tell you. I don't know who your Ralph person is. But I think Ralph Lemkin is the person who Ralph Lemkin is the person who invented the word genocide. Uh, but like I said, thank you for explaining that to me. And yeah, go ahead. I'll let you yeah get the last word in. That's a great Jeopardy question and answer. But if you know your history, it's more important that you know how to apply your knowledge. If you're not applying it in any form or fashion, then it is useless. So. Paul Robeson, and I just read to you a short, short bio. Again, you need to know who he is, and he used the word genocide. The same word that I use today, he used it, 
Paul Robeson said again, we charge genocide to the United Nations. The historic petition to the United Nations for relief from a crime of the United States government against the Negro people. And I'm going to just give you a little more because this petition sounds like something that we're going through today. And this is why I can say it. I don't just throw words up here just to say it. I've done research, and I know of what I speak. So here we go. At the same time that the American labor movement was reaching out to black workers for the first time in its history, and when independence movements were rising through the colonial world, Robeson believed it would help African Americans to see their struggles as part of a worldwide movement of oppressed people of all races. In particular, he saw African Americans having a strong affinity with the peoples of Africa, Asia, and Latin America who were oppressed both as workers and as victims of the European and American imperialism. And I'm trying to find the stats that they drew in here. He urged African Americans to join the CIO and, to, and stood against separate unions based on race. He characterized those who refused to join labor unions as scab labor. Um, I'm trying to find the numbers. There's some numbers here, and the numbers look so much like what we went. What are we going through today with um, the killings? And that was just the lynchings is what brought him um, to start this petition. And again, he started it uh, with um, Hitler, not Hitler, I'm sorry, Einstein, who was um, a victim. And uh, Einstein understood, okay, we shall inform the assembly of the Trenton Six of Paul Washington, the Daniels' cousin, Jerry Newsom, Wesley Robert Wells, of Rosalie Ingram, of John Derrick, of Lieutenant Gilbert, of the Columbia, Tennessee destruction, the Freeport slaughter, the Monroe killings, all important cases which Negroes have been framed on capital charges or have actually been killed. But we wanted also to know of the typical and less known of William Brown, Louisiana farmer, shot in the back and killed when he was out hunting on July 19, 1947, by a white game warden who casually announced his unprovoked crime by saying, I just shot a blank. Let his folks know. The game warden, one Charles Vincent, was not even charged with the crime. Now, today it's worse. These are white people without um, any certification to hold a gun, to protect and serve, to be peace officers. These are just one of the, you know, the everyday white racist people that's killing black people and lynching black people in this era. Today, we have people that we're paying out of our own pockets, of our own tax dollars. Police officers who are supposed to be here to protect and serve, supposed to be peace officers, officers. And yet, we have to worry about turn on the television or listen to the news because we have been accustomed to seeing our people being shot with their hands up. Children, 
women. So if Paul Robeson can use the word genocide in 1951 to describe black people being lynched, then I, too, is a new saying from Lincoln, I, too, an American, then I, too, like Paul Robeson, can describe what is happening today as genocide. And I don't need to know who created the word. I just need to know that the people who have successfully ended lynching, they use the word. And if they use the word, and if using that word helps them in lynching, then I, too, will use the word lynching to help in the mass murders of African-American people at the hands of police officers. So we can end it on that note. And I want to thank you, oh, thank for, you for that. For provoking. Thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for telling our audience who Paul Robinson was and his thoughts on genocide. Um, and I'll also add uh, to the, for the audience that in that year that Leslie is referring to uh, where Paul Robinson made those statements also were the same, was the same year in which the U.N. passed the, the Genocide Convention. Uh, outlawing genocide on the uh, in international law. Um, is there anything? Are there any odd words that you have for us? Or uh, yeah. and whoever whoever yeah. taught you about whoever taught you the etymology of the word and the person who created the word, I dare you and I challenge you to take the story that I just read to you about Paul Robeson charging the United States for genocide to the U.N. And it's up to you as a student to teach your teacher. You can't be a great student without challenging your teacher. And if your teacher thinks it's more important that you know who created the word more so than how the word was used. Oh, we weren't creating, no, we weren't, that was, this conversation wasn't about who created the word genocide. The conversation was about whether or not we were using that word correctly or perverting the meaning of the word. That's what the conversation was about. No, but I, I take to your point. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, so take it to It seems as though you're using a, you're saying I perverted the word genocide. That's a, a serious word to pervert the word genocide. I think genocide is perverted on its own. But take yeah. it to your and explain to your teacher that Leslie Gist told you that the word genocide was used by Paul Robeson and he did not pervert it, nor did I, and he used it in the right context and he was... Oh, no, we weren't talking about Paul Robeson. We were talking about your specific... I mean, I actually agree with Paul Robeson's uh, uh, describing uh, what was happening in, in... in the mid nineteenth century, mid twentieth century, the lynchings as genocide. I think that those incidences could be considered um, uh, the attempting part to uh, exterminate people. So you can definitely make that argument. But that's not what we were discussing before, though. Uh, Paul Robinson didn't come up until halfway through the conversation. Uh, but but um, yeah, uh, thanks for the insights. Uh, and a love and another great show. Um, right. And uh, 
from CNL Radio in New York. I'm Cecilia Ben. We're going to be actually transitioning now to slavery by another name, the re-enslavement of black Americans from the Civil War to World War II. Uh, and and we'll be uh, by Douglas A. Blackman, uh, and we'll be playing that for you uh, shortly. Um, okay. And I, before, I, you, I, before you go to um, yeah. that movie, I just want you to know that I met Sam Pollard the filmmaker, director of Slavery by Another Name, at the United Nations. Um, so okay. if, as a result, we screened his film, and he was on the panel, of course. So if you want to get in touch with Sam Pollard, he's a very good friend of mine. Um, he would be delighted to be a guest on the show again. And um, so I wish you well with the book. The book is a great book along with Michelle Alexander's book. Um, the, the combination of the two, they cover just the reason why I and Paul Robertson use the word genocide to describe what is going on today. Well, the word genocide, uh, I'll just, let me, the word genocide doesn't uh, appear in So You Buy Another. It, it, there's references to slavery, of course, but that word never appears. Uh, but, uh, I will, uh, well, let me, uh, I'll, I'll read the brief description for you guys and then we'll make the transition. Um, uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for keeping me yeah. on my P's and Q's and, um, audience, please take away from the show what is necessary and throw out the rest that is unnecessary. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Uh,